Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. At some point, Jonathan, after three years of hosting a podcast that's solely focused on one individual politician we were likely to hit a roadblock. Yes, uh, sooner or later, there was going to be a period when he went on vacation or took some time off or at least stopped popping up with pseudo-folksy justifications for harmful and ill-considered policies on a near-daily basis. Doug Ford has been conspicuously absent from the public eye this summer. He's held a grand total of two press conferences in the past six weeks, and the provincial legislature, which was slated to reconvene for the fall this Monday, the day we're recording, has now been prorogued until the beginning of October, two weeks after the federal vote. And while the hashtag where is Doug Ford was trending on Twitter last month, the premier hasn't been quite as elusive as his brother often was. He took a trip to Northern Ontario, issued some pre-recorded speeches for various conferences and events, and has done a bunch of party fundraisers, although seems to have stepped back from even those in the past couple weeks. Ford's decision to steer clear of any setting where he could be asked a question by the media or a political opponent can mostly be chalked up to the ongoing federal election campaign, which he's trying pretty desperately not to become involved in. Although the results of those efforts have been mixed so far. Already, Premier Horgan and Premier Legault have stepped up. And I certainly hope that here in Ontario, Premier Ford steps up as well. It's time for him to listen to public health officials and leaders like Bonnie Crombie. And we'll be ready when he does. Of course, as the opposition at Queen's Park has pointed out, a federal election isn't, you know, actually a good reason to prorogue a legislature and that, you know, there's a whole province to be governed and a lot of kids going back to school amidst a, you know, pandemic. The good news is that even when Doug Ford is in hiding, the power of his aura still ripples across this fair province. I mean, I can feel it, although I guess you know, I'm only but like eight blocks away from Queen's Park. And yes, I did have to pull up Google Maps to count. Um, how many blocks away from Queen's Park are you, Allison? Well, I probably won't surprise our listeners or anyone else living in Ontario for the past 18 months that the walls of the province started feeling a bit constraining. So I am chilling in Brooklyn for the next little while, and my neighbor plays the jazz saxophone every evening.
I mean, I, I, have, I have quite a few questions, although the fact that it's Brooklyn, I suppose, also provides several answers. But I also have so many theater recommendations, and I hope you're entering the Shakespeare in the Park lottery because the show is running later than usual this year, and it looks extra good. I'm seeing that David Byrne show. Ooh, that's quite exciting. It is. And what's also exciting is that with the prorogation of the legislature comes a throne speech. And I am particularly excited to listen to Ontario's 76-year-old Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdeswell read another speech from the throne crafted by the PC party. The last of which featured her having to say the phrase for the people three times and open for business twice. Your government's plan for the people will begin by trusting the taxpayer. Your government will make sure the world knows that Ontario is open for business. Ultimately, a government for the people must also be a government of respect. Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. Since arriving in New York, I've seen three Shiba Inus, two corgis, two cockroaches, one hawk, and like 92 rats. A real urban jungle. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and I had Broadway tickets for Hamilton for June of last year, and even though it hadn't played a single performance between March 2020 and last night, ticket prices have still somehow gone up since then. And this is Wag the Doug. A monthly podcast about Doug Ford. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So because New York is permanently ahead of Toronto and I guess Ontario in terms of trends, uh, I suppose you're already using a vaccine passport, Allison. Yes, I am. I have the NYC COVID Safe app, which lets you upload a photo of your vaccine receipt from anywhere in the world and puts a green check mark over it. Does it seem to like engage in any kind of authentication? Uh, I'm pretty sure it does nothing to actually verify the information in the photo. Oh, yeah. You do have to like say the date that you got the last shot and also upload your photo of your ID, but it seems pretty easy to defraud. There's also another app called Excelsior, which is for people who got their shots in New York State. But apparently people have also been able to upload fake vaccine credentials to that. Either way, the green check mark is doing me wonders and I'm allowed to dine indoors if I want. Do you like feel safer doing that there than you would here, you think? Mm, I don't know. Everything just feels a bit more chill here. Like people are still masking, but there's something about, <laughs> I don't know, the general lack of sort of pointless public health restrictions that takes the edge off. Like, for example, here you don't have to wear a mask to walk from one end of the patio to another, uh, which is something you still have to do in Ontario for some reason. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. 
Okay, that's good. I mean, I'm still, like, too nervous to travel or anything. I'm still nervous to walk across a patio. In some ways, especially when I read the news stories about the uh, potential fraud of these vaccine apps, I, I do feel like I'm looking into Ontario's future news cycle, at least. I think Queen's Park Today's editor-in-chief, Sammy Hudas put it best when he said that covering the pandemic across jurisdictions is kind of like watching different episodes of the same TV series. Right now, New York is on like episode nine of its vaccine passport season, while Ontario's on like episode five. It'll catch up. In which episode does our, our premier resign in disgrace? <laughs> well, at least we skipped the episode with the crisis leadership book and the Fordo sexual t-shirt plotline. <laughs> Have we? Sometimes we think we avoided what the, the traps the state's fallen into, and it just turns out we're just a little behind. Well, Jono, you and other Ontarians will soon get to enter my world, because as most of our listeners probably know, restaurants, theaters, casinos, and event venues in the province must require proof of COVID vaccination on September 22nd. For a month, you'll just show off your Ministry of Health receipt then by October 22nd, the province says it'll have a QR code that people can store in their phones and an app for businesses to check them. Back in July, TVO's John Michael McGrath astutely observed that since the Ford government would eventually, quote, end up flip-flopping on vaccine passports out of simple necessity, it'd be best if they do that sooner rather than later. His column was titled, Will Doug Ford's Opposition to Vaccine Passports Survive the Fall? What's kind of remarkable and impressive about this is that Ford's opposition didn't even survive the summer. Unlike at so many other points in the pandemic, the premier didn't wait until things reached a needless and thoroughly foreseen crisis point before doing the right thing that everyone was telling him to do. For this episode, we're going to dissect the anatomy of a flip-flop and try to piece together exactly what informed Ford's choice to move relatively quickly on a vaccine passport, or at least quicker than most Queen's Park watchers expected. Here's what Ford said on July 15th. No, we aren't doing it. Simple as that. We aren't going to do it. We aren't going to have a split society. And on July 26th. If uh, the, the federal government wants to come out with a, a passport for people that want to head down south to Florida or in the U.S. or over to Europe, that's going to be up to the federal government. And I'm not going to balk at that. That's their jurisdiction, and, and they'll be uh, more than willing to do that. Before we discuss what happened between then and September 1st, when Ford officially announced the VaxPass program, I think we'd be remiss to not mention one thing that happened before all that, the cabinet shuffle in mid-June. At that time, Ford dumped four ministers from rural ridings that had been anti-lockdown for some time. And they seemed to be the ones who were putting up a fuss during those nine-hour cabinet meetings about stay-at-home orders during the third wave. At least some version of a vaccine passport has been persistently popular among the public. On July 20th, Angus Reid released a poll showing that 69% of Ontarians supported the idea of requiring vaccination in order to attend events or gatherings bigger than 50 people. And that 69% was actually higher than the portion of eligible Ontarians who were fully vaccinated at that point. And that number's only gone up in polling since then, yeah. That was like an early, early one. Yeah, exactly. Of course, as more people have gotten vaccinated, more people are in favor of requiring vaccination. That same week, the Ontario Science Table produced a report that endorsed vaccine passports and, and considered means of addressing potential concerns around their implementation. As if to get the Premier's attention, the words economy or economic appeared 11 times in the report, advising, for example, that should things go south again, vaccine certificates will be of particular importance to maintain economic and societal reopening. 
And they also warned that if the government didn't step up, they'd pretty much forfeit their ability to make the rules around vaccine passports, since various industry sectors would likely begin establishing their own mishmash of systems. Oddly, also around the same time, the province's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Kieran Moore, had told reporters the idea of a vaccine passport had not been contemplated by the government. Even though, as, as Queen's Park Today had reported, and as we talked about on another episode of this show, the government actually had a prototype for a QR code system ready in January, and had shown it to some business owners during focus groups this winter. This was also when some colleges and universities started announcing their own vaccine mandates for the fall. A key thing here is that it wasn't just scientists and the public pleading for it. If it were, the government might have been just as indifferent as they are to, like, the climate emergency. Crucially, all the main business groups were also really, really wanting a vaccine passport and loudly making it known. The Toronto Region Board of Trade, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Heck, even the Canadian Federation of Independent Business was basically on board, and even as far as business groups go, those guys are generally not too happy about regulations. By the second week of August, Quebec Premier Francois Legault and the premiers of Nova Scotia and Manitoba had already announced plans for their vaccine passport mandates, and so had other countries in Europe and Asia, and, and New York. <laughs> the responses to all of this included both protests and huge bumps in vaccine appointments. So the immediate impact of what the move would look like in Ontario was becoming pretty clear politically for the premier. And just before Prime Minister Justin Trudeau dissolved Parliament and called the federal election, his government announced it would roll out vaccine passport rules for domestic train and air travel starting this fall. And the PCs were happy about it. They praised that idea. Now, there's one thing worth explaining, and this is going to come up again later, so I'll just throw it out there now. The Ford government has intentionally convoluted and, and muddied the passport conversation when it comes to federal versus provincial responsibilities. But at this point, it's just important to know that there are going to be two types of vaccine passports Canadians are likely to get. One for federally regulated stuff like flying and crossing the border, and another provincial one for entering restaurants or whatever. Towards the end of August, the heads of several local public health units in Ontario began threatening to band together to create their own regional vaccine passport systems. Which was probably a bluff, but would have been pretty funny, you know, and, and a very Ontario thing to happen. By the end of August, the PCs had also started getting a bit wishy-washier on their position. Not Ford, because he wasn't speaking to the media, but a couple times, Health Minister Christine Elliott's office said that businesses could start mandating vaccines if they wanted to. Although... Some Toronto restaurants that had even mentioned that possibility on social media became protest sites and had their staff harassed. People like Jen Egg, who was on a recent episode of Shortcuts talking about this, rightly pointed out that Ford passing the responsibility onto businesses, which had been forced to close for months, was pretty unfair and pretty gutless. Not long before Doug Ford's actual announcement about the passports, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce had issued its own legal guidance to businesses who wanted to go it alone. And honestly, at that point, I was still unsure as to whether the PCs would do this anytime soon. I was still kind of convinced they'd wait until October or some point when the ICUs were full to really pull the trigger. Often when Ford is being intransigent about something, it's not hard to zero in on the reason. And usually that reason is kind of boring and can be found with the cursed research of the lobbyist registry. But given that industry groups were by and large in favor of a vaccine passport, why was he still dragging his heels? 
The most generous response would be that his opposition was based on a firmly held, if wrong-headed, principle. But it's not really clear that Doug Ford has a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, like, he has sort of values, sure, but it's hard to imagine him looking at this through the lens of any coherent ideology. But most of all, he just wants to be liked and will pretty much agree with the last person who spoke to him, especially if he identifies with them. Which brings us to his family. We can't and don't really know what kinds of discussions he has with them, but we do know that at least two of his four daughters could be described as vaccine skeptical. Here, for example, is Krista on Instagram last month reading from a pamphlet encouraging vaccination. The vaccines cannot give you COVID-19. Might want to check that. And there's a lot more where that came from. Like, She's complained that Ontario, i.e. her dad, isn't following the lead of Texas Governor Greg Abbott and outlawing mask mandates altogether. The same sort of anti-vax <laughs> uh, signifiers, let's say, maybe a little more subtly, are, are coming from his other daughter, Kayla Ford, who identifies herself as a health coach on Instagram, where she has about 7,000 followers. Recently, she kind of did one of those Instagram story things where people can ask questions and she would answer with her like health advice or whatever. And very specifically at the beginning of this, she said she wouldn't be taking any questions about the V, which I think was a short form for vaccines. Yeah, no, no, no one who's like cool with vaccines calls it the V. Yeah. And one of her answers or just general advice pieces recently, which is kind of just general health advice about grapefruit juice, um, mentions that it's high in vitamin A. And she says that research shows that there are strong benefits for vitamin A when it comes to respiratory viruses. And it's super effective for recovery. Obviously, COVID is a respiratory virus. There's kind of a lot more general information on this post, but there's also a ton of little arrows uh, flashing and pointing at the super effect for recovery sentence. Uh, so she's definitely trying to tell us that uh, we should use natural immunity, which I think she actually spoke out of when it come, came to masking last fall, just on the sort of like health influencer side of the vaccine debate, which is a pretty dangerous one because, you know, lots of women, young women, I think, especially listen to health influencer advice and stuff about detoxification and free radicals. And somehow the, the COVID vaccine has found its way into this rhetoric. And grapefruit juice does not cure COVID. Sorry, we should just say that grapefruit juice will not clear COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know other stuff posting like yeah, an essay called Death by Medicine, you know, uh, answering questions about best way to detox if you got the V and it goes on. So like, is she also uncomfortable around 5G towers? Yes. The, the answer is yes. Yeah. She has a recent post about chemtrails. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't see that one. It's just a photo of clouds and like kind of a pretty tree in front of them. And it says chemtrails, one of the many reasons healthy people need to detox. And they're not chemtrails. They're just wispy clouds, wispy clouds. Now, a lot of news outlets are pretty hesitant to report on what Ford's daughters do or say on social media. That tends to be left up to the realm of Reddit or Narcity or Blog2Yo to cover, which I don't think is the best approach, like especially because Doug Ford 
you know, not even very long ago throughout the pandemic would talk about his daughters when he was holding press conferences about COVID. For example, he, you know, would say that they were lobbying him to get nail salons open uh, and stuff like that. So it's, you know, he's telling us that he's having conversations with them about public health restrictions. So I, I think it makes it fair game to talk about what, you know, <laughs> what some of those other conversations might have looked like. It's not hard to understand why it's not generally widely reported on and why it's just sort of passed around in screenshots of Instagram stories. But I mean, I am glad that things like Narcity and Daily Hive and BlogTO are covering that. I guess there's some value in that. I mean, Narcity is pretty fancy these days. I was surprised last week they got three questions into the federal party leaders following the French debate. And speaking of the election, how's that for a segue? By late August, liberal candidates had begun using forged reluctance to bring in a vaccine passport as a means to hammer federal conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. Meanwhile, on the provincial front, liberal leader Stephen Duca held his own sort of cross-party vaccine summit and afterward claimed victory with all the Colin Robinson energy he could muster. There was a lot of really good information that I'll say we're we're happy to share from this morning's meeting with the government, with Doug Ford, with Christine, Christine Elliott, with whoever wants that information. Then on August 26, Bloomberg reported that TD Bank was warning it would likely cut its fourth quarter forecast for Ontario and other provinces that weren't going ahead with vaccine passports on the logic that those jurisdictions would be more likely to have to resort to new shutdowns in the fall. And the next day, just hours after Trudeau had passive-aggressively called on Ford to step up, Ford's government began strategically leaking the news that, yep, they would be announcing a passport the following week. And indeed he did, albeit attempting to frame the delay as the federal government's fault, because he is cognitively incapable of accepting responsibility. Justin Trudeau has told us that they will not be rolling out a national vaccine passport while their election is ongoing. We can't wait any longer. We must take immediate action, and we will. Ford was very clear that day that this was an announcement he wanted to make. It's no secret. This is something that he did not want to do. But after the dust of the vaccine passport news settled, it sure didn't take him long to start touting the Vax Pass as a secret sauce that his government came up with to save Ontario. Here's Ford speaking to an audience of business people and international investors eight days after he made the vaccine announcement. He's at the Toronto's Stronger Than Ever Summit. So as we continue to live with this virus, we're able to find safe ways to move forward, confident in our ability to protect Ontarians. That is why Ontario require proof of vaccination for certain settings, effective September 22nd. And the day after that, the PC's economic development minister, Vic Fidelli, sang a similar tune in a press release about jobs data. He lauded the vaccine certificate as one of the ways the province is, quote, providing businesses and workers with the tools they need to stay open and stay safe. It's like all that holding back never happened at all. So... What was different this time? How was it that Doug Ford came to change his mind before the situation turned into another crisis? And what can we learn from that? Last minute reversals of unpopular policies have kind of been a hallmark of Ford's time as premier. It's easy to think of COVID related examples, pretty much all of the lockdowns other than the first one. But even before the pandemic, the Canadian press published a roundup of cuts and program changes the Doug Ford government had reversed. 
within sort of, I mean, at that point, its first sort of year, year and a half in office, canceling the Hamilton LRT. They said they weren't going to do that. Then they did it. And now they've since reversed it. Changes to legal aid funding, uh, changes to autism funding. Yeah, or even just like holding on to Dean French as his chief of staff. It was one of those things where it seemed like everyone at Queen's Park or anyone who had ever encountered this person or his government at Queen's Park were saying like, get rid of this fucking guy. And he held on to him until it reached a crisis point. Doug Ford is willing to put up with a lot of shit in order to not back down. And usually the stuff has to pile up really, really, really high before he finally relents and does the thing that he ought to have done all along, that people, even sometimes his own allies, have been pleading with him to do. But the question is here, I guess, why didn't that happen this time? Was it just the involvement of business groups? Was it the federal election? Was it him not talking to his daughters for a couple of weeks? Do you think there was any one thing or do you think it was like a combination of all this stuff? I mean, that's such a good question. Cause like, you know, part of me wants to say like lots of stuff has to pile up, like you said, um, for Doug Ford to flip flop on something. And I mean, in this case, it would have been bodies that would have had to pile up right if we waited until november for this yeah it's a low bar but i mean that hadn't been enough that hadn't really been sufficient before i mean like i don't know the best uh, the best theory i have i mean could it be just the proximity of the election like we've talked about this in the show before that it seems like to the extent they have a plan for the election it's sort of trusting that the pandemic is well and reasonably behind us by that point which is to say by june of 2022 and that no one is you know people are generally in a good mood and not angry at him about his persistent mismanagement of it like they invoke the fucking notwithstanding clause in order to try to shield themselves from criticism i mean the idea of i guess of of, of a mountain of things of more p- pandemic mismanagement taking place closer to the election by which time i they seem to you know hope that they, we've put the covid behind us I mean, maybe that's what it is. It's like they felt they could withstand this before. And now it's just like, if they haven't, don't have things turned around by the spring, they could really be hammered by where all their stupid decisions and maybe they realize they couldn't afford another one. I'm sure there will be more. Yeah. And I think maybe to your point, all jurisdictions that have implemented the vaccine passport have faced protests. Uh, we know that today in Ontario and across Canada, anti-vaxxers are going to protest at a bunch of different hospitals. If, you know, Ford's political calculus is that this is inevitable, then the further from the election that happens uh, is, you know, technically a good thing. Yeah, one of the things I'm thinking about more and more about, like, that saves Doug Ford from himself almost is the fact that he, there's there's never been any, any indication that he spends, like, any time online whatsoever. And so you think about where a lot of conservatives have gone, including his own daughter, in the past few years, and certainly over the past year and a half. And it's not hard to imagine Doug Ford going down that route, too, were he actually regularly exposed to these same radicalizing forces online. And goodness knows there are other kinds of radicalizing forces in the world, but really very few are as efficient as facebook and reddit and youtube and so on and so on and yeah there's never been any indication that he's 
had any interest in any of that, which has somehow actually managed to help him not go down that rabbit hole. So we should all take a page from Doug Ford's handbook and limit our screen time. <laughs> no, all of which is to say, yeah, like, I, I mean, for all of his intransigence and stubbornness, the fact that he doesn't seem to have strong opinions other than his own correctness is it could be a lot worse it could be it could, it could definitely be a lot worse and now it's time for foreseeable disaster of the month for my foreseeable disaster of the month i'm gonna put myself in doug ford's shoes and foresee what could go badly for him when canadians head to the polls next week so while Ford's not participating in the campaign, and kind of the first reasoning for that seems to be that he doesn't want Justin Trudeau out there slagging him every day when, you know, Doug Ford himself has to go to the polls pretty soon, maybe part of the other reason, and we, and we did see it reported that Trudeau and, and Ford have uh, formed some kind of a truce uh, throughout the campaign, is that they actually share a lot of the same voters, uh, especially in the, the 905, the vote rich 905, as they call it. And it, in a lot of ways, benefits the Ontario PC party if Trudeau is in power still. It gives them a really easy person to attack when they campaign next year. Whereas, you know, if Aaron O'Toole is in office, it's a little bit a little bit tougher to point to an enemy that Ford will save Ontarians from. Yeah, fuck, what does he do? Just keep hammering on Kathleen Wynne? I mean, I guess pro- probably, but like, yeah, like if he, as soon as he loses Trudeau, what is the convenient specter to blame for things that are Doug Ford's own fault? He'd probably go back to Kathleen Wynne, maybe even go back to Dalton McGinty. The people really didn't like him. He wasn't very cool. I wouldn't be surprised. So my foreseeable disaster of the month uh, would be perhaps one of Doug Ford's family members participating in some sort of anti-vax rally. It's very easy to envision. Maybe not immediately, but that sooner or later, they, they may no longer be content with expressing their views via Instagram stories and may want to take uh, other forms of action that may be more visible. That was Wag the Dog, a show about Brooklyn and doing the right thing. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. And I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby and at home under a blanket in Toronto. Our producer is Dami Lola Aname. Our executive producer is Kieran Oudshorn. Our finishing producer is Kevin Sexton. And our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener supported. If you like what we do, support us. Go to wagthedog.com or click on the link in the show notes. Hey, Wag listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show 
And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 